1: On on Rothbard. <laughs> well hello and welcome to the actual anarchy podcast a podcast where we talk about movies from a rothbardian and anarcho-capitalist perspective and tonight we're going to talk about a movie that robert came up to view in my home or my man cave, actually. Uh, It's called Green Room. It's a Patrick Stewart movie. came out a couple of years ago, and it uh, has some interesting themes. Robert took three whole notes, handwritten, and we'll have plenty of content for you tonight. Uh, This is episode 98, and the show notes and more can be found at actualanarchy.com slash 98. How you doing, Robert? Hey, buddy. How are you? You're looking good. Uh, Thank you. You you like my lengthy, luscious, luxurious hair? Your long, flowing locks. Are you... um
0: growing them out and you hope that like some knight is going to save you out of your giant tower.
1: That that was one of the hopes, yes. And then I was actually thinking when you were on your way to visit us that the first thing you would do would look at me and just laugh for at least a good minute because you've never seen my hair this long. And In I've known the entire
0: you- lifetime of lifetimes that we have lifetime together. That is very true. You've always been High and tight or middling, normal man cut. You've never gone for the full-on transitioning or whatever it is you're doing.
1: (laughs) I feel like I'm going to do the tuck dance from Silence of the Lambs, just for you. (laughs)
0: Why wouldn't you? I don't know. It seems to be well within your character at this point.
1: Right, right. Well, I I just, um, you know, I wanted to, to do, grow it out and see what happens while I still have the ability to grow hair.
0: That is, I can see the appeal of that, yeah. You're get, getting
1: that. on in the years now, and if I don't do it now, it's not going to happen. So You're not going to be some
0: wild, crazy, woolly old man with just everything, long hair, long beard, one tooth. Then I could
1: invent the toothbrush. Yeah, I could do that. Okay, And that would be personal property, Robert, the toothbrush. Oh, so you're going to go crazy, Tommy, when you get old? <laughs> yeah. It's a natural get,
0: progression. It's senile. <laughs> yeah, well, you're going to get senile, and then you're also going to get less and less able to compete in the market, so you're going to
1: want to get bailed out. By your commie friends, so I can see that. All right, yeah. So we're going to be talking about some commies, I think, in this uh, in the show tonight on Green Room.
0: Yeah, I. They're not overt commies, but I. I don't know how else you would describe them, really.
1: Yeah, they're they're. I, I'll I'll pause it to you during the show a little bit. Pause but it all but- you want. But uh, what else can we say to our actual Anarchy audience other than uh, we appreciate you guys. And if you want to support us and what we do here on the Patreons, we've got a few people watching right now who do support us at the $10 a month level. So thank you guys for that. Uh, and uh, the uh, link for that is actualanarchy.com slash Patreon. So if you want to get in on watching us live or still have access to the live stream later on, uh, you also get the entire behind-the-scenes after editing. Uh, You get early access, and uh, you can join our little club in the uh, Facebook group, Actual Anarchy. uh, uh, What is it called? The um, Cadre? the uh... Island of Sanity, Daniel. Island of Sanity in the Facebook Asylum. Yes, the Actual Anarchy Cadre. See, I don't even remember the names of these things anymore. I am getting old. Uh, It's a problem. Your name is Daniel. We do a show. Continue. All right. And my name is now Mud. Let's get into the last nighters portion of the show. do, 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 do. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Last Nighters, it's Daniel and Robert, we are The Last Nighters and this is going to be episode 41, you can find the show notes and more at lastnighters.com slash 41. We're going to be talking about Green Room, and uh, before we get into the Google description, let's say hello to Robert real quick before we kick this thing off. Hello everybody,
0: welcome back to another show, happy to be here, feeling good, got a lot of juice, we did the show specifically today because I've got more juice for you. So let's see how that pans out.
1: Yeah, Robert's got more juice and I can move more freely now. I had to tweak my back a little bit and I thought that if we tried to record a day or two ago, I'd be crying oh, man, on air. It'd be great. So shall we get into that Google description?
0: We need to schedule the show around Daniel's aging body, his
1: decrepit crapitude. We're sorry. <laughs> I keep just falling apart day by day. It's going to be like weekend at Bernie's around here before we know it. All right. Green Room came out 2015. It's a mystery crime slash horror. Uh, An hour and 35 minutes, 7.1 on the IMDb, 90% Rotten Tomatoes, 79% Metacritic, and 83% on the Google users liking the movie. The description is a punk rock band becomes trapped in a secluded venue after finding a scene of violence. From what they... For what they saw, the band themselves become targets of violence from a gang of white power skinheads who want to eliminate all evidence of the crime. Came out on Tax Day 2016, director Jeremy Salnier on a budget of $5 million and the box office a whopping $3.8 million. Ouch. Didn't even make its little money's backs. That's got to sting a little bit. I don't know
0: if you would call it a mystery, I mean, I know it's throwing a bunch of slashes in there—mystery slash horror slash crime. It's a fusion movie, but what mystery was there? Usually, when I think of a mystery, I think of a protagonist solving some sort of a mystery. I mean, I guess, but the the who done it of the murder is just told immediately. We know why the 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 skinhead people lock the people in the room, and then the 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 reveal that they have a drug operation going on there adds zero to the plot. I mean, there's there's no. It's not like, oh, they had to kill them because there's a drug operation. No, they're, they're killing them because they saw the murder. That's, I mean, maybe it adds a little? No, I don't even think it does. I think it's just a little added thing to, to show how bad these people are or something. Because not only are they like neo-Nazi skinhead guys, they also do drugs and sell drugs. And Can't
1: have a Confederate flag on their wall.
0: And listen to punk music. But yeah. then the heroes also listen to punk music and sing punk music. But they sing punk music that hates skinheads. So there's like two punk factions colliding in this movie.
1: Yeah, it is weird. I and All right, my premise of of my theory here is that this is like the election of 2016, the lead up to it in the DNC. This is the Hillary supporters versus the Bernie supporters. Okay, go go ahead. I want to hear this. And the dead girl must have had evidence that could have led to the arrest of Hillary. Okay, I see that. And so they stab her in the brain with like a knife. Right now, I'm going to say that the Nazis are the Hillary supporters and the ANCOMs are the Bernie supporters. The band is the Bernie supporters. And essentially, they, they both align in a lot of ways in their tactics, in their philosophies, in their economic ideas. Like the band was, you know, siphoning gas, stealing from people. Uh, the, the writer of the film or the director, uh, he was in the punk scene in Washington, D.C. growing up. And in one of the interviews, he talked about how uh, he thought it was exploitation for a venue to offer tickets to the band that the band would then have to sell to fill the venue. And we can get into that because I I think that that's not (laughs) a situation of exploitation at all. Um, But you've you've basically got two groups of people who have very similar views in a lot of ways, just one is overt racist and the other is more covert racist, like under the surface racist, like the, the racist of trying to look down upon people in order that they may try to lift them up, albeit via social programs that inevitably fail and exacerbate problems.
0: Right, I believe that's called the soft bigotry of low expectations.
1: Right, and that—that's the—that's uh, the Hillary supporters in in my little my little uh, wait a minute example wait. here. Oh, okay. Oh wait, wait, no, no they're, they're it, You're thinking there's the bill, the the band, the, Antoms, the band. Yeah. 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 Sorry. So I'm confusing my own theory here. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, uh, I do have a uh, satirical article I'm going to post on the show notes page. It's from the Babylon Bee. Are you familiar with the Babylon Bee? It's like the onion, but more religious. It, it's actually slash, fun.
0: The, it's 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 very much written from a Christian perspective, like a Christian conservative perspective. But in the past couple years, and maybe it's just me, maybe it's my perspective has changed. But where the onion has gone full on crazy lefty social justice warrior, the Babylon B is a counter to that. And it is, as a consequence, far funnier.
1: Right. And and it pays pretty good lip service to, you know, free market type things as well.
0: Absolutely. Like they'll even talk about like Rothbard and Hoppe and, you know, economics in general and when you know, making fun of like Bernie Sanders and that sort of thing.
1: Right. So the article I'm going to post is uh, titled Antifa Burns Nazi Manifestos Section on Racism <laughs> Preserves Remainder as Own Platform. Yep. Well, wasn't there a... I'm stretching
0: my brain right now, and that's never a good thing for a podcast. But there is a... Recently, somebody went out to like a rally and started shouting... Stuff from like Hitler's speeches and got like a rousing response. Have you heard? You know the story?
1: Yeah, yeah, I do recall that. And it was um, not so much someone shouting a bit more of a uh, um, you know a group of people are like listening to somebody orate, and he was not. He didn't say it's Hitler stuff, and he avoided a lot of the you know racial uh, issues. But yeah, he he took literally what Hitler had said in some of his speeches and got all these uh, social justice warrior lefties to applaud him. Yeah. And and I think it it has to do with um, the misunderstanding that that a lot of people have about that they think Nazis are right wing and super uber capitalist, you know, and and that fascism is all about capitalism. And it's a totally uh, misunderstanding. It's really corporatism and and protectionism, mercantilism, and the merger of of government colluding with business and directing what that business can and cannot do it's it's it was called national socialism for a reason and a lot of people will say oh that's just a thing that they said to like get popular or something like that but no he was he was literally controlling what the businesses were doing right like highly regulated uh they they had private owners in pretty much in name only and uh so anyway a lot of people have have misunderstandings to that. Uh, but really, and uh, Tom Woods had a great talk on this at um, the Mises Institute uh, a, a couple months ago, where he just outlined what Hitler's social or sorry, his uh, economics were. And it's almost down the line what democratic socialists want today. More regulation, more government control, more, uh, you know, direct control over private property and things like that.
0: Yeah. And I think they some of these Antifa types kind of like latch on to the idea that Hitler opposed communism. And saw communism as this great evil, and therefore he was evil because they you know they love communism. But really, Hitler and Stalin—I mean—they had very, very similar ideologically. And I'm not exactly sure, you know, all the reasons why Hitler opposed Stalin. Maybe because you know he opposed the church, but I don't think Hitler really gave too much about that either. I'm not exactly sure. Maybe it was more just like a, a power struggle, but they, he seemed to oppose it on ideological grounds when in reality the systems were very, very similar.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and to people who would say, well, he was f- fighting communists and they were fighting him. Well, communists fought each other all the time about whose communism was better, right? That was the whole thing with Pol Pot uh, in Cambodia, uh, Vietnam, and I think even China. Those, those issues were related to who was going to do communism better or the right way right and there was a lot of antagonism as a result of that i'm sort of talking about Russia slightly here cuz i don't totally but, recall it all but
0: no but yeah you're right i mean in as the the communists were rising up and you had trotsky and stalin and i forget who else but there were a bunch of main people and they all kind of had different ideas of what communism meant to them and you know stalin ended up stabbing everybody else in the back and gaining the political power and of course did it wrong daniel So that's why that ended badly. Right. Just the wrong guy who had totalitarian control. And really, that's kind of a damning thing on your ideology. If all it takes is one bad guy to screw it all up and turn this otherwise would-be wonderful system into a shithole then it can't be that great.
1: Right, and, and we can get more into this in a future episode uh, on we should do Lord of the Rings sometime again soon. And I, I, I have a guest in mind for that. But it's essentially, you know, the Lord Acton concept of power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. So even if you do get the right guy in there, that ring of power is going to corrupt them most likely, right? So it doesn't even really matter who gets in there.
0: Yeah, you can pretty much count the number of virtuous politicians on one hand throughout all of human history. So chances are.
1: Yeah, history is a good guide on this one. <laughs> All right, and uh, one last thing on the on the Hillary thing. Uh, I guess she came out just the other day saying that uh, the time for civility with those you disagree with is over, something along those lines. And it seems really bizarre because it it's it's almost like projection. You know, they're still angry and upset about what happened in, in the twenty sixteen election because it was. I mean, the, the woman lost a rigged election. I mean, how do you do that? You know, uh, but people are still really upset about it. And in my viewing, it appears that most of the vitriol and most of the um, property destruction and violence is coming from the left and not from people on the right. And uh, most of the claims, well, I don't want to say most, but there are many claims of people on the right doing things that are racist or evil or homophobic or whatever that end up being hoaxes of just attention seekers.
0: I don't know what you're talking about. Everything I've seen is rioters, rioting and self-defense. So... I think they smash Starbucks. I mean I think those smart Starbucks windows were oppressing them and assaulting them with their windowness, so I don't know.
1: Well, Paul Krugman is probably happy because the Glazier is going to get more business. Damn straight. <laughs> if only we could smash all the windows, wouldn't that be great? Oh, what a boon. All right, let's get back to sorry sorry to sidetrack everyone there into my delusional theory here. But uh, the director, he grew up in the punk rock scene, like I was talking about. And in one of these interviews, he talks uh, about the concept of the venue giving tickets to the band and telling the band, all right, go sell these tickets, fill the venue. And that's how you're going to get paid. You're going to get a cut of the door. You need to fill up the, the room. And he viewed that as the venue taking advantage of the band. I want to get your read on that. Well, first of all, it's really
0: stupid. First of all, it's incredibly, it's, it's perfectly voluntary. Now, I don't know the ins and outs of going on a tour, but I imagine you call the venue ahead of time and you negotiate some sort of terms. And when you arrive there and maybe the terms aren't perfectly negotiated over the phone and you get there and the venue owner says, hey, I got all these tickets. You know, if you want to go out and beat the street and drum up some business for yourselves, this is something you can do. You don't have to do it, obviously, but it's in your best interests to sell more tickets to your show. I I can't imagine that would not make sense to somebody. But if but I can see if you're feeling like entitled, like, hey, I'm an artist, I'm not a salesman. This is the job of the venue to go out and drum up business. I can see that, but it's not like the venue owners going, you know, this is something you have to do or else the show's off. I can't imagine that's the case. I imagine it's more like the case of here's a bunch of tickets. You want to get more people in the venue to make more money, help out, lend a hand. And this is a completely voluntary thing. He's not oppressing you. He's asking you to do something that's probably outside your comfort zone. But guess what, cupcake? That's what you're going to have to do in life. This is what you do. So I'm sorry you wanted to live the rock and roll glamour lifestyle and going out and saying, walking up to random strangers and being like, hey, you want to come see a punk show tonight isn't in your wheelhouse of skills because you're probably some sort of, you know, angry introvert. But tough titty, man. That's 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 part of the lifestyle. If if you you don't have to do it. This is a voluntary thing. You could even if it was even if you get to the show and he goes, okay, you have to do this. First of all, what are you going to do? You can go out there, pretend like you're selling them, walk back in. Yeah, I sold them all. Or you can go, no, I'm not going to do that. And he goes, okay, well, then, shows off. Everybody's still well within their rights, no matter how you cut it. It's all completely voluntary.
1: Nobody is aggressed against anybody else. So what is the, the actual complaint? All right. I think it, it might need one point of clarification. I think that the tickets are given to them and they get a cut of what they sell as payment for doing the show. So basically they don't sell any tickets. They're not getting paid to do the show. Okay. It's still,
0: it's, it's a little bit crappy, I suppose. Like they're not going to get any ticket sales. They're not going to get any money from the gate unless they tell, they're only getting money from the tickets they sell.
1: Yeah. I don't know if it's exactly that. I think they just get a portion of the door and they're given a bank of tickets to go and get butts in the seats to make that door bigger. Right. That amount bigger. Right. So they would get more. Right. They get a direct benefit from every ticket they sell, but not the entire value of the ticket. The surplus value is carved off by the venue owner and thus exploitation. the exploitation. So it it, it it takes for granted that the venue exists at all. Right. That somebody took the time and the financial resources to even have a venue and that they have any incentive to do anything with that venue, they would need some kind of drive some kind of reason to do it. So yeah, it it goes back to the, uh, the label labor theory of value and exploitation, which has been debunked like a million times. Uh, but people still cling to it oddly, uh, thinking that, well, just because I did something for a certain amount of time, it's worth that amount of time, whatever that amount of time is worth. You know, it's like this circular garbage reason. And really if, if somebody wants to believe in the labor theory of value, uh, then they need to do with their bare hands with found materials that are subject to the tragedy of the commons because you can't use any capital equipment. You can't use any purchased or uh, acquired raw materials. It's gotta be just your bare hands if that's where all value comes from, right? It's really dumb and it breaks down instantly
0: when you think about anything. I mean, take a piece of artwork. Picasso scribbles something on his little piece of paper and there's somebody willing to pay A million dollars for it. Whereas I spend a lifetime painting one picture, it should be worth exponentially more, right? But it isn't. And everybody knows why. Because there's a huge demand for Picasso's and there's
1: no demand for mine. Sorry. It's just the way it is. Right. And then how do they uh, account for the change in value for something after it's already been created and that person is long since dead? Right. There's no more new labor being added to it. So by definition, it shouldn't increase in value. So... Yeah, there you go. And then um, uh, Rothbard talks about this in one of his lectures, and I'll try to find it. It might be uh, one of the early ones, like one of the intro to Austrian economics. But he talks about a charming movie that he saw where there was a guy who was kind of isolated and he was an inventor and he was always coming up with great ideas. It's just that because he was so isolated, he didn't realize that you know, like the radio had been invented 30 years prior. So he comes up with this great idea, the radio or the TV or the whatever, but 30 or 40 years after it's already been introduced in the marketplace. So he spends all this time, right, all this labor coming up with this thing, building this thing, and he wants to go out and sell it. And what's it worth at that point? It's worth a bajillion dollars, Daniel. <laughs> of course, well, it's funny because, well, I mean, the,
0: the, anybody who ascribes the labor theory of value couldn't even come up with a number. They couldn't even answer the question. And what are they going to do? Calculate the number of hours spent. And then what number are they going to attribute
1: value to those hours? And is a janitor's hours the same as a brain surgeon's hours? Or is it some multiple? And what yeah. multiple? And they can't, they couldn't tell you. It's because it's all hogwash and they know it. Yet they cling to it. Yet they cling to it. Anyway, anyway, let's, let's talk. Just more in general, but specific to the movie. I know that made no sense. Okay. Let's talk about just the basic idea of the story. So this Ancom type band is touring and they are barely making any money because of situations like this where they feel like they're being exploited because they have to sell tickets to get a cut of the door. And they uh, only have like enough money to get half a tank of gas and they need a full tank of gas to get to where they're going. So what do they do? They look up where roller rinks are and go and siphon gas stealing gas and uh just partying to get to the next show so already you've got people who don't um, respect property they're willing to steal uh from those who uh may or may not be more fortunate than they are right like how do they know how well off somebody who's parked at a roller rink are
0: they're the bourgeoisie that can afford to roll around at a roller rink daniel on an afternoon you know they deserve it those sons of bitches all right
1: Granted, I'll give them <laughs> that. But yeah, so they're, they're going around stealing. And then they end up, um, th- didn't the show cancel or something? And they ended up playing at a Mexican restaurant. By the way, I'm drinking a, uh, a Mexican beer right now. And then when we get to the uh, skinhead venue, I have a German beer. So we'll be... Are we turning into the Peaceful Treason podcast? Are you going to
0: give a rating? Are going to have a cerveza of the week? That's not a half bad idea. I mean, I don't want to... We're wanna, like... totally ripping them
1: off? Well, it's only... Intellectual property, can... Daniel. Intellectual property is forced negative servitude. <laughs> forced negative servitude. It doesn't roll off the the tongue like taxation and stuff. But anyway. <laughs> but yeah, those those guys are great guys. But anyway, I, I my wife just randomly got these for me uh, on her latest grocery trip, and the the movie they play in a Mexican restaurant very very sadly right because they're playing a punk show to people at lunch eating taquitos and burritos and stuff. <laughs> uh, and then uh then they go to this Nazi compound out in the the wilds of I think it's Oregon, right? I believe so, yeah. yeah and I wasn't sure where they were in uh in the city. I thought initially that it was San Francisco, but then they said they had to go south and along the way uh was this compound show. So maybe they were in Seattle. Yeah, it could be, I don't know. But the um, journalist guy with the Fohawk. Yeah, right. Um Somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, we get
0: treated to a couple shots of them driving around through trees, and it looks fairly around here-ish. I will say that if your goal is to endear your protagonists to the audience, the director of this movie failed miserably with me because I don't really identify with people who are just going to steal their way around the country. Sorry, I just, I don't know. I believe in private property, man. I mean, I know they believe that they can freely steal from somebody because they need the gas more and from each to their ability to their to their need or whatever they say. And then, you know, those people are richer than them. So it's all relative. They're dirt broke. And so therefore those other people have more wealth. So it's okay. I you know, whatever they do to help them sleep at night, I don't know. They come up with whatever kind of ex post facto justification. But if you want to Make me like these people. And you kind of need to do that if these are people that I need to be able to root for because they're people that are likely going to die and I need to feel something when they die. Yeah, yeah, failed. He failed hard. What about you? Did you, did you care about these people? Did you, did you cry a little bit crocodile tears when, when, they, when they started getting
1: axed? Uh, I don't know. It, it, it's a weird movie. It's, it's sort of set as being a horror film in a way. But I didn't find that it really fit that mold very well. Well, I didn't think... uh,
0: Let me be fair, though. I didn't think that what they did deserved what they got. I'm not going to say that. Like, because they stole some gas, I'm glad they got murdered. Not saying that.
1: (laughs) No, no. But what you're saying is, like, it's hard for you to really like them.
0: Right. You want to present them as likable people so that when bad things happen to them, you care. And if you present them as thieving, unlikable, jerk not those pretentious, you know, entitled brats, then, you know, I, I
1: don't, I don't, I don't really, uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna cry when you die. Sorry. <laughs> Even if what happens to you is very unjust. Right. And it is a movie. And, and, you know, we know that in watching it. So we're, we're not like, oh yeah, you know, I hope they really die. No, uh, it's, it's a movie anyway. Um, they need to do a show, right. To make money. Because stealing gas isn't enough. And so they end up doing this show at this Nazi compound. And they decide to rile up the Nazis by doing a cover song called Fuck You Nazi Scum. Is that is that the right name of the song? I don't recall, but it's some kind of anti-Nazi song of some kind. Right. And they're they're singing this at a crowd full of skinheads. Um and uh so they were they were like kind of being I mean, they were, they were playing to the audience, but to antagonize them, to piss them off, right? Yeah, they're and riling then, them up. Yeah, and then events unfold to where they uh, forget their phone in the green room and they stumble upon a, a recent murder scene, which was confusing as heck to me why this person was murdered and why it had to be a knife to the brain and why it was better that she was murdered than some alternative thing were to happen. Did it make sense to you? Well, as the story unfolds and i guess this is where
0: the mystery of the mystery movie happens is we find out why the girl was murdered and we find out that she was going to run away from the what would you call them like a a cult or a group or a whatever she was gonna run away with her boyfriend who was going to also run away with her and take away some forbidden items that were supposed to have been destroyed or at least kept with the group. Like they were going to keep them. Like there was like a baseball bat, I want to say, that was from a specific crime. Is that is that what happened? I want to say.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it seemed like they were going to escape and they took the bat maybe as their insurance policy. Like, oh, we'll turn this into the police unless you leave us alone, kind of a thing. Right. And the bat might, you know, must have been used in maybe a hate crime of some sort. And so they're all worried about that catching up to them. Yet they're more than willing to try to cover up a hate crime with a bat by murdering people, stabbing them in the head. And then when this band stumbles upon the scene, they are now held hostage and to be dealt with summarily as well. So it's like they're doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on whatever previous crime had happened. In an effort to cover that up, they're going to commit atrocities far worse.
0: Right. So we're assuming that whatever it was that this bat was used for must have been really, really bad. Because they're willing to kill over it and right. kill more and more people, like a whole bunch of people.
1: Right. Very messily as well. Like, you know, they've got the dogs going out there to, to tear them up and, and they've got these uh the red laces, um, which are the skinheads who have, I think, killed or committed a violent act in the name of the group. And so they got red boot laces to signify their you know initiation or whatever. Right. And... You know, my big problem with this kind of a movie where it's
0: essentially once they're locked in the room, it kind of turns into like this survival horror kind of a movie where, you know, we're, we're given very limited information. We're kind of given the first person perspective of this group. And we know as much as they know, sort of. We're given a few scenes outside where the people are talking, but mostly we're given their perspective and like, oh, no, we're trapped in here. We're, you know, given certain information. There's a guy holding a gun on us. Yeah, in the room. In the room. And man, when when the characters make dumb... First of all, they're unlikable from the start for me. And then they make really dumb decisions rashly and quickly, maybe hoping that the audience doesn't really think about it too much. So there's the guy holding the gun on the whole group. And there's a scuffle. There's like, I don't know if the lights go out. Is that what happened? The lights went out and then there was a scuffle. Yes. And they got the gun. And then they got the bullets. And they're holding it on this guy. And then one other guy is like kind of like an MMA kind of guy. Like he has some kind of knowledge and he gets him in like a headlock and like chokes him out. And then Patrick Stewart comes walking by and he's like, John Luc Picard. He says, Yeah, he's like, number one, number two. And he's like, I need that gun. I can't have a gun in that room with you. And they basically go, Okay, well, I'm just going to give you this gun back then.
1: Yeah, Chekhov gives him the gun. This is like Star Trek, the theft generation. When the gun is the only thing that is kind of
0: equally keeping them safe. Like it's, 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 it's the equalizer. They call guns the equalizers for a reason. There is a very one-sided power dynamic if you are not armed. They got ha- who knows how many guns, dogs, you way outnumber these people. This one gun is keeping you at least, you know, at least it's promising to harm anybody that would come in to do them harm. And they just like, well... Okay, as a sign of good faith, I'm going to give you this gun. The only leverage they had. The only leverage. And, of course, immediately upon opening the door, like a moron, sticks his hand out with the gun, and then the hand gets, like, chopped up. And he's like, oh, no, I immediately regret my dumb decision. And he's like, oh, no, oh, no. And he's pulling the gun, and he's trying to pull his arm back. And he pulls it back, and, like, his hand is, like, hanging from a thread, and it's all chopped up. And so what do they do? They're just, like, going to grab some duct tape and wrap his arm together. And it doesn't bleed, even though it's probably severed who knows how many arteries and it should be pumping out. And he should bleed out within minutes, but he's like fine for the whole rest of the movie. Yeah, yeah. The the Chekhov
1: would have lost an arm, but the miracle of miracles of duct tape saved his life. So St. MacGyver would be very proud.
0: Yeah. So it's, you know, it's I mean, I guess our negotiator friend would have been totally on board with this strategy of being like, oh, yeah, I'm going to negotiate with people. Who have fully demonstrated the fact that they are ready to initiate violence against me well they wouldn't lie well they what why would they lie they not only have they threatened to kill me but they wouldn't lie to me too that just seems like a bridge too far you're dealing with people who have fully demonstrated that they are willing to kill you why would you negotiate with them in good faith how stupid are you so when they do that sort of thing and then they pay for it i'm like good you're a moron. You deserve to get killed, you stupid idiot. But it's bad because Chekhov, he kind of does it without like checking with the whole group. Like, hey, I'm going to give our gun away. Is that cool with everybody? He just does it. He kind of takes it upon himself because he's holding it. So he's doomed everybody else to get murdered because he's a moron. Not that I they deserve to die, but just when they do stuff like that, it just makes me hate them.
1: Yeah, it was a very, very, very poor move. Um, I got to say that, that they did maintain tension throughout this entire movie. Like I did feel like I was on edge and the, uh the, the injuries were gratuitous. Like they were like that arm was like really torn up, you know, falling apart and they, they did not shy away from showing like as gross as you can make it. Right. Like
0: it was an arm that it was hacked w- at with machetes. It looked pretty bad.
1: Yeah. If you haven't seen this movie, just be forewarned, you know, <laughs> I'm not trying to do a trigger warning. I'm just trying to let you know that if, if you're eating, or something like that. You 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 might not be hungry after that scene.
0: Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty gruesome, and it's probably the only scene. I mean, there is dogs attacking people. There are gunshot wounds, murders, Stabbing. that sort of thing, stabbings. Yeah, but that is the most. That's like that's their one big special effects prop shot of this arm getting mauled.
1: Right. All right. So let's let's move the movie along a little bit. So they they end up uh, giving up the gun, and then they barricade the door to prevent the red laces from coming in and, and murdering them all. And they try to escape and they uh, dig through the floor and find the drug den or the drug manufacturing facility. But there's no way out of that either. And eventually, which is which begs. Oh, that's right. Now, there
0: was a, a, a hatch, which you could get in and out of. That's right. Never mind. Go ahead. But it's locked from
1: the outside. Right. Right. Um, and then uh, for whatever reason, people leave the door uh, unguarded or whatever. And so these guys can like attempt to escape. Uh, but they're surrounded. Dogs get sent in. And as people uh, try to get away, you know, dogs are, like chewing on their throats or if they try to climb out a, w- a window. People immediately stab them. Uh, one of the women got shot right away and then mauled by a dog. So it really just becomes like you are saying, like a, a survival horror situation, like almost like um, Hostel or Saw.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Although. I mean, it becomes kind of an even fight, even though it shouldn't be. It should be like world's one most one-sided fist fights, but it's which is a hilarious adult swim uh, sketch, by the way. Um, robot chicken. But uh, luckily for these stupid protagonists, jean luc Picard is stupid too because he's like, well, I'm just gonna send in like the dog guy. And then when he gets a couple of his dogs killed and then they put like the microphone on. So then the dogs run away because they don't like the high pitch sound. Then he's like, well, okay, now I'll send like two guys. But let's not just all go and just like everybody have their guns and whatever. We're just going to send a couple of guys at a time. Well, he's like sending away,
1: team, a guy with a red shirt. Right. Because, you know, he's always going to get killed. Right. Beam him down into the green room. And then, yeah, then the the guys are able to defend themselves a little bit, a little bit. They they get their hands on some other guns. and He's full-on Bond
0: villain where he's just like, what? I'm sending in one guy. What? I I mean, I'm going to assume everything's going to go well. Why why wouldn't I? (laughs) (laughs) I
1: expect you to die.
0: So then, yeah, our, our heroes kill with whatever ramshackle stuff they have. There's one scene where you know, they've got one girl that resents almost being killed and she kind of turns one of these guys that he sends in with them, he like turns them, right? So he's going to help out, but then he immediately dies. And then I guess there's one kind of clever thing that the heroes do where one girl hides in the couch and the other one pretends to be a skinhead and they like mark up their faces with black tip marker for some reason. I don't know. Was that like a camouflage move or whatever?
1: That, that was the, you know, the story he tells where he's like paintball against actually trained military people and then just wiping the floor with his team because they're, you know, calling like maneuvers and like using strategies and his team would always lose. And then he said, finally, the guy get fed up. He's like, fuck this. I'm not I, this isn't fun anymore. So he just like goes rogue, just goes crazy, runs out Rambo style and takes out all the military guys because it's totally unexpected from what they're trained for. And so that becomes his strategy for escaping this situation is to act super weird and crazy and throw off the the aggressors here. Right. And I
0: give them some props for that. I thought that was pretty good because I had a real-life experience where I played some paintball in a a wooded area with about 20 people. And the first couple games went poorly not great but sometimes i think we won one we lost one but it was basically two teams that were fairly equally matched and we would get down to like a couple guys versus a couple other guys and then eventually there would be a couple guys that would win but at one point i had to go and so I'm like okay this is my last game we don't have much time i got to get out of here and so the team was just like well let's just charge them and as soon as the bell rang or whatever it was everybody charged we just charged, we just won giant charge and we obliterated the other team. It wasn't even close. Maybe we lost one guy. Maybe. I don't even think we did. It might have been a complete blitz. So yeah, there's something to be said for doing what you would not expect going on the offensive when the you're, you know, they expect you to not do that.
1: Yeah. And I wonder also if if maybe because it was your last game and you knew you had to go, like you were playing with nothing left to lose. Like right. you had that extra gear that you're like, all right, fine. Just, you know, go balls out all the way.
0: Right, you're trying to win or you're trying to just see what's going to happen and you're not just trying not to lose. Whereas I think when you're... when The way I was playing earlier in the day, you know, you're like hiding behind a tree and then you're like... Firing and having someone cover you as you run to another tree and you're trying to play smart But you're not necessarily playing very aggressively You're 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 undercover the whole time and you're constantly trying to not get shot as opposed to You're trying to rush out and shoot the other team and there is a scene in this movie where they do that They get a shotgun and they charge out into a superior force and they lose I think one or two people but they do take out a couple people and they kind of surprise them
1: yeah, so maybe maybe one decent lesson to draw from this. Uh, what, what, where else do you want to take us on this before we get into our final summary and review? Because we are we've probably got enough content going here. Okay, good. Because there's not a whole lot to talk about in this movie. The only other
0: question I have is at any time do the main characters become immoral actors? Because this movie goes from them being the chased rabbits victim people... To them kind of turning the tables and going back and actually killing Jean Luc Picard and his like big lieutenant guys. So they have escaped and they could just run for it or just get out. They get out to the road and they kill the people that are setting this elaborate, you know, staged accident that they're going to n- then drag the bodies out to to show that it was a big accident and they didn't actually kill anybody
1: yeah and the irony of that is that it's staged accident of a siphoning gas gone wrong right so a callback to the beginning
0: right and one of the characters actually goes you know you're doing it wrong before he like kills them i would never do it that way but um then they go on the offensive and go chase down Jean-Luc and his lieutenant guy and kill them and they still manage to make the the protagonists, the quote, good guys in that scenario, because, you know, they get there and they don't just immediately gun them down. They have like Jean-Luc and his lieutenant guy pull their guns first and like they're about to shoot them before they gun them down.
1: Right. It's it's sort of like the Han shot first, Greedo shot first situation. Right. It's 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 always it's never
0: making your protagonists be the guys that shoot first and like be the bad guys. And it's kind of annoying. I mean, if any, if ever they had like the right to just gun them down, I suppose it would be something like what would happen in this movie. But I was wondering, what do you think? Do you think that at any time were they immoral actors? Did they have a, an obligation? I don't know if you want to say obligation, but you know, to, were they ever aggressors? Let's put it that way.
1: You know, after all that happened to them, it's a tough one, man. I, I thought it was ballsy for them to go after these guys. Uh, And not that they were going to save anyone because all their friends were already dead, but it was more just vengeance, you know, payback. Like they're going to pay for this and not in a, you know, court system, call the police kind of way. Right. Kind of okay with that. And it reminded me of, you know, Josie outlaw, uh, Josie, uh, Josie Wales, the Outlaw Josie Wales that we did a few weeks ago, because that was a similar situation where in the beginning of that film, Josie was one of the uh, Confederate types, the rebels and the red leg union soldiers had them turn in their guns, that negotiation thing. Right. And then they murdered all of those guys, except for, um, Josie escaped, or or Josie went and saved one guy, and then he ended up dying of his wounds later anyway. But it was just this a similar situation where as soon as you are disarmed, you're at their wo- at their mercy, and that's not a position you want to be in. But back to your question about you know the uh, whether they became the aggressor at any point, as you said, you know they did show Jean Luc turn with his phaser not set to stun, but set to kill, set to kill, uh, and and get shot as a result, and so. I think on a technicality, they were never the aggressor at any point, but they could have maybe had some gray area had John Luke not had his tricorder uh, or if he had a tricorder instead of a phaser, right? You know, you know how those situations happen. where like, Oh, we thought it was a gun, but it was a cell phone or a wallet or whatever, you know? Well, do you think that, I mean, that they were the agents of
0: justice that they were carrying out? What would rightfully be done? I felt
1: yes, definitely. Like, there was no question as to what the events that had occurred to them were. You know, it was it was like um, they were literally in a in a war. They were in a you know they were about to be murdered situation. A bunch of them were murdered. They know who did it. They saw them do it. It's not like you need to take the facts of the case and go before a judge and have a jury convict these people. No, you you were directly involved in this situation. So yeah, I think that you do have a level of street justice that is you know not in in um not in uh, real life. Like I think that they would get in trouble. Right. Had the police like known that they did this, but I don't think that they were morally doing something bad. If you follow what I'm saying, I don't know. Do you, do you disagree? You're saying, I see what you're saying. I I think we could probably dissect it each little which way and
0: probably come up with arguments for and against, but I think I'm fairly satisfied with your response. Um, you know, I, there's a fair amount of me attributing my judgments to an out, you know, to somebody who's in the trenches, if you could put it that way. Like me casting my judgment is probably a little. I'm gonna gonna say it's a little less valid than how the person, how they themselves would say. So I'm sure they felt perfectly justified throughout. And if I'm gonna nitpick with one little thing they do here or there, like oh, you didn't have to go after them at that point. You could have just left and then gone and called cops or something like that. You know, I I I would say that you know you weren't there, man. You don't you didn't know. You, you you were just watching. You got to sit back and coldly and emotionlessly, you know, judge for yourself whether or not this or that was the right thing to do. But I was actually there. I, I held my dying friend in my arms and blah, blah, blah. And I I tend to give them a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt. Because if there's one thing that I believe that the, an ANCAP type society would be is a more polite society, I tend to believe that it would be a more civil society, that you wouldn't have legalized violence. I think people would be more react more harshly when it actually does happen and the retribution would be more harsh and immediate and I think we've gotten far more you know desensitized to it with it being legalized in this society so um, when somebody reacts harshly to violence and you know sees it as a war type situation and reacts with quick vengeance and furious anger I uh, I tend to uh, give them the benefit of the doubt. Right. And I
1: I think, you know, generally the standard is once you've eliminated the threat of harm to you, then that's where you're supposed to stop. But in their situation, you know, when they were still in the woods, I mean, if they were found by any of these members, uh, they would have been uh, killed. So they were still on guard the entire time, even if they had chosen to just try to escape. And so, you know, seeking that vengeance... Uh, it was still, you know, game on, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Like, if they were discovered, they would have been uh, attacked. Right. They didn't know what the numbers were, what the odds
0: were against them. I mean, for all they knew, there were 50 people out to kill them. I mean, he eliminated it down to just the red laces, but they didn't know that. When they walked into that club, there was probably 100 people in that club. And probably not every one of them was going to try and kill them. But
1: how do you know? They're locked in this little green room. So give them the benefit of the doubt. All right. I I, I will agree. All right. So before we get into the final sermon review, uh, there is one thing that we often talk about when we're discussing an older movie. We're like, could they do this today? Well, this movie isn't that old. And Picard does say the N-word a few times. And it's a relatively recent movie. And uh, Papa John, he said it in reference to, well, this other guy said this word. So, you know, why the double standard? And he got fired or had to step down. And then I think some other situation happened maybe at Netflix with an executive similar thing where they were talking about what's permissible to say. And he, he was like asking literally the question, is it permissible to say word X? And they said, you just said word X you're fired. <laughs> well, I don't know if they had the left cover that,
0: um, I mean, if you remember the movie Django unchained, I believe Leonardo DiCaprio said that word probably about a hundred times in that movie.
1: Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, candy man or candy. What's his name? Candyland, Mr.
0: Senior Candy or Mr. Candy, whatever his name is. Right. So, yeah, I think if you are of a certain thing or, you know, I don't know if there's ever been an actor in a movie who's gotten, you know, destroyed about it. Um, but apparently, did you hear about the um, the racer who, the, like the, the the car driver racer guy who in 1980 said it in an interview? And then it got discovered recently and his son... Not him, but his son lost all his sponsorships because of it?
1: Uh, vaguely familiar. I mean, you know from the flowing locks that I should be a NASCAR fan, uh, but I am not. But but I, I do think that I heard something along those lines, yes. And it is bizarre, right? It's totally guilt by association and digging back 30, 40 years into something yeah. that at the time, yeah, it was probably a bad thing to say, but it's not. it wasn't as bad then as it apparently is now, right? Like, it somehow has changed. Yeah, the culture seems to
0: change and judge the past super, super harshly. And unless you, I don't know, I guess, unless you're in a movie, you're doing a period piece, you're playing a bad guy, I don't know. I, I don't know what the rules are. If I knew the rules, if people knew the rules, there wouldn't be an outrage mob on the internets like 24-7. I just don't i don't think anybody knows the rules, Daniel. All
1: right, well, I think that's enough on this unless you've got any final points before we get into the summary and review, and uh, I'll let you start first. Well, I'll wrap my last idea
0: into my final summary and review
1: so this movie has some
0: pretty decent acting i guess it has a decent premise to it um but if you this movie has to you with a kind of movie like this you have to care about the characters so when they die off it's like it hits you you feel something but this movie you know it throws a bunch of characters at you and then they like die really quickly and like kind of off screen almost so they're like, maybe they're cutting out some of the gore so it would get a better rating. I don't know. But it really didn't let... Even if I liked the characters, it didn't let me like really experience their deaths because it all just kind of happens really quickly and suddenly. And then we don't like have anybody else react to it. We're never given a scene where... I mean, there, there's, there's a couple... There's a girl character who's like upset and traumatized over the initial stabbing of the girl in the head. And she's upset. But... I don't recall a scene where any of the main characters die and you know, someone's just like forlorn heart rot destroyed over, you know, their friend just being killed. Like there's no scene like we're in like saving private Ryan where you're cradling the arm, you know, this dead body of this person you cared so much about like your brother in arms and you're going to cry and die. It's just like, Oh, well he's dead. Moving on. I don't think, if, if you're going to act that way like a robot and you're not going to express any kind of human emotion, then the audience isn't going to care about you when you die. So I think the director, the writer missed a trick where he treated it like it was a horror movie and where these people are just dying in like gore. He substituted gore for actual human emotion. And that's just a recipe for a movie that no one's going to give a shit about. And there is good tension. Because there is an injustice happening. And my sense of justice kicks in when you've got these, you know, this vastly outweighed power dynamic, which is good. You got this very weak set of protagonists against this very powerful group of enemies. Good. You got a great setup for a movie. But, you know, then as the main characters start to die, you know, the remaining characters get like this plot armor. Can't have nobody survive. And I had pretty much figured it out that there were going to be two survivors because you had to have some kind of dialogue going back and forth between the two. So once it got down to two and the movie went on for another 20 minutes or so after that, all the tension for me had just evaporated. And I was like, well, there was good tension for a while and then it was gone and I didn't even like the characters. So, yeah, this movie, not good. Um, There are elements that are good. And I want to say that you could make a good movie out of some of these ideas, but the just kind of drop the ball too many times. So for me, this is like a four, you know, check it out if you got nothing better to watch. But with the options today between Amazon and Netflix and Redbox and TV and everything else, I can't imagine you ever being like, let's watch Green Room. So,
1: Daniel, what did you well, think? Well, you're being oppressed with so much choice and exploited with a buffet of opportunity before you. <laughs> it's true. I am being totally oppressed. It could be called called down upon with a flick of a, a finger. Yeah. So this movie, <clears throat> I had a bit more of a favorable viewing of it. I felt that the, that the tension was good. It was like keeping you in a state of what what's going on. You're still trying to figure it out kind of as it's unfolding. And there's always the foreboding of, oh, is that about to happen? I think he did really well with that kind of element of it. But you are right that they didn't really develop the characters very well. And uh, we didn't mention this before, but um, this is uh, Chekhov's final role before he died in a that tragic car accident. So this is his uh, last performance. And I think that he did a, a fairly fine job um, in, in this movie, uh, even with the miracle arm that allowed him to not bleed out when several arteries, uh, major arteries were severed. Uh, I, I think that that miracle duct tape uh, would never have really saved a person's life. Um, and then back to my analogy at the beginning, really the, the two different groups here, they're really only Big difference between the two is that one is overtly racist and the others are sort of uh like you were saying, and I forget what the term was, but the soft um,
0: bigotry of you know, low expectations.
1: Right. Yeah. You're like, oh, you're you're so much lesser than me, and therefore I need to help you. And I'm gonna get virtue signal points uh for doing so. Um and You know, they're also the type of people who would support policies very similar to what the other side wants. And these are policies that were implemented with race in mind, such as the minimum wage and license and regulation laws, uh, marriage licenses, things like that. Uh, A lot of these do have um, racial origins that were intended to keep uh, quote unquote inferiors from being in those positions and competing for those jobs and and for those things. So it's a method of control uh, through the government. And really, the only Big difference between the uh, democratic socialists and the national socialists is the overt versus covert racism and a leader with charisma, <laughs> apparently. Because really, the economic policies are about identical, and uh, the results are often va- rather similar as well. So it's it's really uh, really unfortunate. Anyway, but back to the movie. Uh, I think that uh, I'm going to go with a positive review, but still relatively low, six point two for Jean Luc Picard and Chekhov as they go warp speed. Or Warp Factor 6.2.
0: As they make it so. Okay, um, Daniel, well, you promised me one last thing before we sign off on this episode. You said something about a purge of the face beaks.
1: Yeah, so just yesterday, uh, there was a purge by Facebook, and it appears to be a coordinated effort, and there was a leaked memo from Google. But it was 800 pages, um, many of them in a liberty, uh, an anarchist bent, like V is for voluntary a lot of cop block and cop watch, uh, pages, um, punk rock libertarians, very relevant to this particular movie, right? Cause this is a punk rock scene movie. Uh, and a bunch of other, um, sites that had hundreds of thousands of likes, like big sites, like not like ours. I mean, we're, we're probably safe for now because we're ours is so small. Our groups are so small. Um, but yeah, 800 groups just unpublished, no warning, no nothing. And it's, it's just this, uh, Oh, you've repeatedly violated our community standards or your trying to juice the stats or whatever. And a lot of people are sort of theorizing that it has to do with the upcoming midterm elections. And it's a way of squashing what they would believe to be anti-left thought or anti-government thought, things like that. Um, And I've even heard some people go so far as to say Facebook is doing this uh, in a proactive sense because Zuck was just in front of Congress uh, testifying, right? And he wants to appear to be doing something to combat fake news and election hacking uh, in a proactive manner, as opposed to having those things imposed from on high upon him. So it's like a face saving move. Okay. face saving move. I I mean,
0: this sounds like a a market force. Um, It sure sounds like, you know, Facebook is announcing itself to be a far left platform. And that's good market information for its user base. Now, I am definitely of the mind that, and everybody knows this, this is like the standard talking point and everybody sniffs and scoffs whenever it gets said, but I don't care. They are absolutely a private company and they can host or not host whatever they want and they can do it for any reason they want. Now, they can also be hypocritical and we have every right to be upset about their hypocrisy and have every right to whine and complain about it, but that still doesn't change anything. I mean, what are you going to do? Are you going to go grab a gun and go to Facebook's headquarters and be like, you have to blah, blah, blah. Are you going to talk to government and be like, yo, government, you need to regulate these Facebook people because they're not doing what I want them to. No, this is just an incentive for you to get on other platforms. And it really annoys me when people say that Facebook is a monopoly. It's absolutely not. It's one of literally hundreds of social media platforms. It's probably the biggest now. But once upon a time, MySpace was the biggest. And probably before that, like GeoCities or whatever was bigger than that back in the day. And who knows how long Facebook has. You've got mail, AOL. Yeah, Yeah. and once upon a time, AOL. They were the internet company that bought like Time Warner. I mean, who knew? And who knows how long Facebook has. And this kind of thing is you know, going to contribute to the death of it. Now, I agree that, you know, it's probably not great that they're censoring stuff that I would appreciate, not, you know, kind of like ginning up the game for the midterm election. But I also don't think that political action is the way to freedom. Begging your masters for more freedom is doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And incrementalism doesn't... If you could vote your way to freedom, well, we probably would have had freedom a long time ago, but that just, that's not how that works. So, yeah, it's not great, but the solution is to complain about it, to expose Facebook as a bunch of hypocrites, to say that, you know, you claim to be this open platform when clearly you're not. It's not what it isn't, is to whine to government. To say that this needs to be regulated. We need to treat these people like platforms or, you know, utilities or something like that because they're a monopoly or this is mandatory. You know, everybody has a right to Facebook. No, you don't. You don't have a right to Facebook. You don't have a right to the Internet. You're talking about other people's labor. You don't have a right to that. I know my audience knows all this crap, but I feel like even libertarians will talk about this and say, like, you know, Facebook needs to be doing a better job. No, we just need to leave. And go to other things. There are mines, there's probably a thousand other ones. There's Steemit. There's all kinds of different other things that are far more free speech oriented, I guess you could say. So put your money where your mouth is. Support, you know, who deserves your support. Do you think Facebook and Zuckerberg are deserving of your support? Doesn't seem like it. I mean, they provide a great service, but if they're gonna shut you down at the drop of a hat to suit their own political agenda, do you really want to support that? It's up to you, man. You're the market.
1: And if you'd like to support us, we've got a nice little Patreon page that you can visit at LastNighters.com slash Patreon. And you can get all sorts of bonus features, including watching us do our live stream, uh, which we're recording right now because, you know, it's so meta, right? Talking about the live stream on the live stream. So LastNighters.com slash Patreon. But let's wind this down and uh, we can do some uh, Kathleen Turner overdrive. uh, That is one of the bonuses our Patreon people get. So before we do that, though, um, Robert, I think we were deciding on a movie to do next. And I was leaning towards Swingers to be episode the next episode,
0: the episode, the next episode. Okay, Um, I don't remember the Swingers movie being anything but a couple of guys wanting to get laid. But
1: all right. Plenty to talk about there. All right, well this has been The Last Nighters. I do appreciate you guys joining us. This is episode 41. You can find the show notes and more at slash 41 And just a reminder that The Last Nighters are part of the Launchpad Media where they're always launching new ideas in your direction. So do check out the launchpadmedia.com. There are a bunch of other shows, tons of content, new stuff coming out every day. Well worth a visit. Uh, get all your needs for entertainment from a libertarian uh, and a culture aspect at the Launchpad Media. So I'm over overselling it here at the end of the last nighters. Uh, Robert, the final word. Thanks for listening, everybody. We appreciate each
0: and every ear hole that our, I'm just going to say, voices go into that we struggle and we fight and we claw and we somehow get a show to you each week despite all the technological challenges that we impose upon ourselves for being old men. And um, yeah, catch us next time we'll be talking about some swingers. Go back and watch that movie. Maybe it's maybe it's good. Who knows?
1: All right, and we'll continue the transmission for a few more minutes on the actual anarchy show. This is episode 98 of the show and you can support us on Patreon for, uh, actual anarchy at actual com slash Patreon. And we have some uh, wonderful supporters watching us do the live stream right now. Uh, various levels. You get various good things, but Robert, um, your take on the on the uh, episode here on Green Room. One thing I wanted to add before before you answer is, I felt like the name of this movie and the marketing of it, like the the imagery that was used and even the description of it, just wasn't very didn't draw me. You know, it seemed like it wasn't positioned very well in a in a market sense. Like I wasn't drawn to this. It, it seemed very low budgety. Um, just from you know, I thought it was gonna be like a um, a low budget low grade horror movie based on the marketing and wasn't it? Well, it wasn't really horror, right? It was more just high tension, you know, like violence is going to happen to these people. Well, I mean,
0: if you're maybe on the if you're on the left, you think that Nazis are everywhere and they're out to get you and they're going to take over and that's the scariest thing in the world. So, I mean, if you're convinced that Donald Trump dog whistles to Nazis, and Charlottesville was just the tip of the iceberg of the white nationalist takeover of the world. And everybody from North Carolina is a Nazi in the KKK. And
1: then this movie's terrifying. Okay. Well, that's, that's, uh, I can see that, though. I don't think that when this movie was penned and filmed and released, that that was the lay of the land.
0: It came um, in April of
1: 2016. The election was in November, and this was probably made what, in the preceding, you know, 18 months, right?
0: Okay, so you're saying that Donald Trump exposed the super racist half of the country, and then before that, it wasn't known that everybody was racist in the country?
1: I'm saying that it wasn't like the narrative that it, 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 it is now. Right, no,
0: it's definitely become the narrative for sure since the election,
1: but they started, yeah.
0: when they first called it a white lash, the election of Donald Trump was a white lash, then you knew we were going down a dark road.
1: Oh, man, that has like so many different meanings, doesn't it? Maybe. I don't know. Well, because you got backlash, right? Which is what they're sort of alluding to. But then a white lash is like a person with a whip. Yeah. Lashing a whip. Yeah. Lashing the slaves back where they belong. Right. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Now, he's, you're just kidding. Just kidding. Making a joke. <laughs> I don't know.
0: I've got white skin. I, I don't know what to tell you. I'm, I'm secretly a Nazi, of course.
1: Making a joke. But apparently, you know, uh, you can't be funny anymore. Because that is uh, not PC. Uh, Mel Brooks actually talked about this in, uh, in a, an interview, maybe a year or two ago. How you know he he made Blazing Saddles and Spaceballs and uh, all sorts of great irreverent movies that relied heavily on non-PC humor. And he was bemoaning how you couldn't do a lot of those things today. You know, it's, it's one of the things we talk about often. Uh, so I'll I'll post that on our show notes page for uh, for this episode because I think it's pretty relevant. I think that a lot of comedy has died as a result of the um, SJW Virtue Signal Oppression Olympics, and it's a, it's a really sad thing to see.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, if you're not allowed to go where your mind is telling you this is funny because you're afraid of offending somebody, then you've already lost. Because comedy, by its very nature, is trying to... And something, you know, maybe painful, something wrong, but something true. Ultimately, that's why, you know, you laugh at it. And if you're not allowing yourself to do that because you're afraid of offending somebody, and guess what? The truth can offend people. It will offend people. And then, yeah, and how dare you call yourself a comedian? But I, I mean, I understand why people kowtow to it, because that is essentially the the dominant culture. And it's so much more lucrative to go along with it than it is to fight it.
1: Yeah. It's kind of a perverse incentive, right? And, uh, it's kind of unfortunate, you know, you, you, you get rewarded, um, by playing along, uh, with, with these virtue signals and it's, it's further reinforced and incentivized and you get punished for any wrong think. And that is, uh, it doesn't bode well because little by little, inch by inch, you, you end up going more towards totalitarianism as a result of all of this.
0: Yeah. As you become more and more intolerant of different ideas Well, preaching tolerance. Right, right. By preaching tolerance, you become more and more intolerant and more authoritarian. That's exactly what you are. I mean, uh, growing up a lefty, I didn't see myself as an authoritarian. I mean, uh, as I was a statist, I was, but I was very much like a laissez-faire. Like I appreciated like the lack of war, the the lack of, you know, getting out of people's bedrooms. Hey, like let people do what they want to do. It's not my business. But this left is very much... Hey, you said a wrong thing. You you shouldn't do that. You're bad. You're bad. You're a bad man with a with a bad mouth. You should not be allowed to have a career. Yeah, get him out of here. Destroy that person. Fire him. He's a bad bad think man. Bad bad. It's like, how do these people call themselves like liberals? You know, in the
1: classical sense. I don't even. Not even I can't in the classical even. sense. More in the Damn. the eighties vintage sense. You know, the eighties and nineties vintage. Right. The get get the. People
0: out of people's bedrooms when the, when the religious right were complaining about the gays and the, the, the decay of the morals of society. And then the, the, the left was like, hey, man, let them do what they want. It's none of your business.
1: Right. And the left was always pushing the envelope on what you could say, how raunchy you could be, how daring you could be in media and entertainment. Yeah. And now it's totally folded over itself. It's, it's so bizarre. So bizarre. How bizarre. Oh, you're taking me back. All right, well, let's let's end this and uh, maybe continue the conversation a little bit in the paid area behind the golden ropes of our Patreon supporting uh, members. And so if you want a piece of that action for the affectionately called Kathleen Turner overdrive and and uh, uh, I'll give a prize to whoever can can point to me uh, on our Facebook page. Ironically, that we we just talked about how we if you support Facebook, you shouldn't if you don't support Facebook, you shouldn't use it. We're still using it anyway. We're hypocrites ourselves. But if somebody comments uh, down below this post where this show is posted on our Actual Anarchy Facebook page uh, with where Kathleen Turner Overdrive comes from, I'll send you a prize. Fair enough? Good deal? All right. Well, that'll do it for us for Actual Anarchy episode 98 and the show notes and more can be found at actualanarchy.com slash 98. Thank you very much. Maximum Fried, everyone. Good night.